0: Welcome to Studying the Song, a podcast to help musical theater actors figure out what to sing and how to sing it so that you shine in your audition, one-woman show, or leading role. My friends, talent and passion are only the beginning. I believe there is freedom in preparation. I believe that when you put in the work, practice the skills, and do the research, something amazing happens. You become so prepared in your craft that you become unstoppable. In this podcast, I want to give you the tools and skills to create a powerful audition book that showcases your artistry and actually gets you work. I want you to feel totally at home reading the musical score of a show, and I want to help you define your unique artistic voice. Consider me your own personal vocal coach in your earbuds, cheering you on and bringing you the reality checks you need along the way. I'm Corey Yamaoka, and I'm so excited to be walking this journey with you. Let's dive in. Hey, welcome back to Studying the Song today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about today. We are going to continue our series on melody and how it tells a story. So if you recall, last week we talked about what a melody is and how notes or pitches progress from one to the next to create what we call melodic contour, which is really just the shape up and down of the melody. So we talked about conjunct and disjunct motion. So is a melody moving in stepwise motion, just up and down a scale, one note to the next, or is it moving in leaps where intervals larger than a second, third, fourth, fifth, etc. cetera. Um, we also talked about how a melody, a good melody usually has a focal point of a single high note or a low note. And then we looked at a few examples of like the inner ups and downs, those inner hills and valleys of the melody and how they have their own ways of creating tension and leading you forward. If you haven't listened to that episode, you can still understand everything we're going to talk about today, but I do suggest that you go back to episode 19 and listen to that. Today, we're going to be diving a little deeper into the specific logic of a melody, Okay. Why does a melody make sense? How is it put together? How is it constructed? And to do that, we're going to discuss melodic motives and specifically the idea of motivic development. Okay. And we will define what all of this is, but let me just tell you, why is this important for you to know? Well, first off, I think the more you understand a song, the more fun it is to sing. It's like, when you're you're like going out to a fancy like gourmet restaurant, right, and you eat a high end meal, and if you're just like a casual person who's not really a foodie, and you don't have any knowledge of like cooking and ingredients and all of that, you're just like, hmm, this is good, right? But when you know how ingredients go together, or maybe you've tried making this dish before. Um, you know, like this ingredient is really rare or you're tasting things being combined in a way you've never tasted them before, you have so much more enjoyment of the meal because you're enjoying all of those parts of the experience in addition to just eating and tasting the thing, right? You have all that other knowledge. So that's what it is when you're singing a song. You understand all the little ways that the melody is being put together whether it's paying homage to like a tradition or is it being innovative in some way, um, and so it just like increases your enjoyment of the whole process. Number two, the more you know, the more you become like a co-conspirator with the composer and lyricist. It's like you've got the inside scoop. You're on the you're in the inner circle with them. You understand what they're doing on such an intimate level, and then when you sing it you become like a representative of their work like you're you're on the same level as them because you know it so intimately okay last the last reason why it's important to you and perhaps the most important is that when you understand the melodic architecture you can make your own informed and personal choices about how you want to imp- interpret a song you know when it's best to stick to the ink as they say what's written on the page Um, some writing is genius just as is. And then you also know when there's room for flexibility and what sort of stylistic flair would be appropriate to add to it. And so when you are performing, um, you're, you're doing something that is unique to you while still respecting the work. And you're not falling into just reiterating, rehashing, um, regurgitating choices that other artists have made on maybe recordings that you've listened to a lot. So that's why it's valuable, I think, to understand motivic development and just how a melody is constructed before a lyric even gets attached to it. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to walk you through six different types of motivic development, and I'm going to give you examples from different theater songs. And trust me, I had so much fun finding examples. I could seriously analyze melodies forever, and I can't wait to share these with you. So six different types real quick, before we get into those, I want to read a listener review that somebody wrote this past week. Um, it's super kind and sweet. So Teague Mill says, she is fantastic. What a wonderful podcast for musical theater performers. As an educator, I may abandon the textbook I use and just require students to listen to this fantastic podcast. OMG, Teague Mill. Thank you. That is high praise. I'm honored by your kind words. Um, That is so, so sweet. I could only ever aspire to be like a supplemental, you know, (laughs) resource for musical theater classes. That would be so sweet. Um, If you listening right now want to leave a review, it's super easy to do that. I will shout you out on the podcast. Just go to my podcast page on Apple Podcasts, scroll to the bottom, and then you'll see where the reviews are and a little link that says write a review. You just click that and write in a sentence or two, however long you want. Click submit or whatever it is, and then there it goes. It just goes right up on my page, so you will see it, and I will shout you out in the next episode. All right, here we go. Let's get into six different types of motivic development. First off, let's get a working definition of what a motive is and what I mean by development. Okay, a motive, you may know better as the word motif, right, a motif meaning like a theme of some sorts. In music, we call them motifs, but you know, the plural of motif is motives. So that's what we do. Um, A motive is a short musical idea defined by like a specific rhythm or a specific melodic phrasing, okay? It's very short. It's not a whole melody long. It's just maybe a little nugget that a melody is built on. It's like a key idea in the composition. It's like presented in the beginning and then reappears throughout the piece. So one of the most famous examples from classical music that I think everybody will know is bum 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 bum, right? Beethoven's fifth symphony. So that da 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 is really three repeated repeated notes and then down a third, a minor third. Um and you get one pitch there, bum, 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 bum. And then you repeat it, bum, 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 bum. And that's what the whole piece is built on. That's just a series of that motive starting on different pitches, right? Okay. So almost every melody, right? Every song is going to have some sort of motive that is that little key source element, right? But we can't just keep using the same motive over and over. That would make music very boring. So the motives get changed in different ways to reinvent it and keep it fresh. And that's what we mean by motivic development we develop the motive we change it slightly so that it keeps interest so in that case that i just gave you i already changed keys but it's called that's called a sequence that's going to be one of the things we talk about you use the same thing the same motive but then you do it up a little bit on a higher note and then you start on a higher note after that and you put them in sequence like that so that is developing it and changing it into something more interesting that we could listen to for a whole song. Okay. Sometimes I will say the motives are very easy to identify like the one that you just heard. Um, And other times it's hard to just hear them, but you can see them on paper. I mean, the motivic development, there's many more than six ways. And when you start combining these, you'll start to see like, okay, I understand how it's working, but it maybe doesn't sound exactly like the first motive. So it's harder to just hear it. Um, But no matter what, that motive is being developed and it's serving as a glue, whether you can hear it or not, there is a glue that is holding the song together from beginning to end. Okay. The ones we're going to talk about today, I think will be very helpful for you in the world of musical theater, pop, jazz, any song uses motivic development. And I'll have mostly theater references for you today. And I think you'll be able to hear these types of motivic development as well, not just be able to read them on the page. Okay, so let's get into the first one. The first one is the easiest, the simplest, number one type of motivic development is repetition. That's it. It's the most prevalent kind, and it's usually just you say the phrase or you you sing that melody, and then it's the same melody again. So an example would be um, King of New York. I used this last week for a different idea, but... And then you hear it again. And then you hear it again. And then, it, again. And then it does something different, okay? Another example would be... Um, my funny valentine sweet comic valentine it's the same series of notes and rhythms twice in a row that's what the beginning of that melody is is built on so the motif stated once and then immediately repeated maybe once maybe it's repeated twice so you get a total of three times it it just depends on the song um, another example could be Roxy from Chicago. The name on everybody's lips is gonna be Roxy. The lady raking in the chips is gonna be Roxy. It's the same melody twice in a row, but the chords change underneath. So it gives it a little reinvention in that way. Okay. So next up is going to be sequence. Number two type of motivic development is sequence. And that's when a motive is repeated, but at another pitch level. Yeah. Usually it's immediately after the first iteration of the motive. Okay. So here, an example would have been Beethoven's fifth, right? Okay. Here's another example you will know from theater. In I don't know how to love him, In the bridge, it's just one log, long sequence of the motive. Should I bring him down? Right? Then we go up. Should I scream and shout? Should I speak of love? Let my feelings out. And then it changes. I never thought I'd come to this. Right? So it's one, two, three, four iterations of the motive. But versions two through four, two, three, and four are at a higher pitch, starting on the next pitch up, the scale, okay? Here is another example, okay? Um, Golden Age show, um, what's the, Annie, get your gun. I got lost in his arms. This is sort of, I mean, I know this ballad, maybe younger people might not know this as much right now, Um, and people might think it's kind of boring, And here's why. Listen to this song. I got lost in his arms and I had to stay. That's the motif or the motive. And it's almost all repeated notes until the last pitch, right? It is all repeated notes. I got lost in his arms and I had to stay. We go up on stay. Now the next line is just a sequence. It's starting on the pitch for stay. It was dark in his arms and I lost my way. Oh, now we're going to do the again. From the, from the dark came a voice and it seemed to say, there you go. Right? So you get three iterations of the motif, the motive, and each that motive itself is built with a ton of repetition in it. So I don't hear a ton of people sing this song for auditions, but it is beautiful. And the repetition in the motive um, is released at other parts of the song. And so when you get into that, there you go, it's such a beautiful moment. It feels so um, evocative of the love that she's falling in. It's like, in entrancing on the repeated notes, and then ah, a release, a sigh on there you go. So that's a little plug for that song. I don't know why I'm plugging that so much, but I love it. Um, let's see, there's a million examples of sequences. Here's a fun one um, from Guys and Dolls, which I did a ton of in the last episode as well. Guys and Dolls, the title song. Oh, when you spot a John waiting out in the rain, chances are he's insane, as only a John can be for a Jane. That is a little series of a part of the motive, yeah? When you spot a John waiting out in the rain, that's it, waiting out in the rain, chances are he's insane, that's it again, as only a John, that's part of it, can be for a Jane, that's the second part, okay? So... It's like you get two full versions of the motive sequence, and then you get a little part of the motive in sequence as well. So that one's really fun. It's great rhyming. Frank Lesser, y'all, Frank Lesser, the the composer and lyricist of the show, he writes both. I don't, I feel like we don't give Frank Lesser enough credit as like Stephen Sondheim and some of these other people that write the lyrics and the um what's the music? Hello, Corey. Like Cole Porter does that as well. Um, come on guys and dolls, such a genius writing in that show. Okay. So you guys get it. A sequence repeating the motive at a slightly higher or lower pitch level. Like the guys and dolls one is a descending sequence. The number three way that you can develop a motive is by slightly changing the intervals. So it's almost an exact iteration, reiteration of the, of the motive, but you change an interval here or there, um, to make it fit maybe with the chords that you're, um, that you're now playing with it. That's part of it. Or just to make it sound maybe like a question or change the, the vibe of it. Um, so here's an example, music and the mirror, She goes, give me somebody to dance for, give me somebody to show. So the main motive, lots of repeated notes. And then up, I think it's a fourth and then give me somebody to show. It's almost the exact same motive. You are just changing that last note. The interval is a little bit higher than a fourth. Okay. So that's an example. The other person who does this a ton, and again, all of these ways of developing melody are used in almost every song, okay? But um, Stephen Sondheim is a genius at using motives in over and over and slightly changing them. So let's look at On the Steps of the Palace for a moment. And I want to go on into this one a little bit longer just because... um, You know, Sondheim, we know we need to sing him like he is on the page, right? We need, again, lyricist and composer, he has written them in such a way that they have such an integrity. He has meticulously made decisions about the melody so that it elevates the lyrics and we have to sing them as is. So this is one where if you understand what he's doing, it's just so much more enjoyable to sing it. So let me give myself a starting pitch. Hang on here. He's a very smart prince. Okay, the succession of intervals here, because that's what we're talking about, is interval change, is a second, a second, third, fourth, seven. Two, two, three, four, seven. Okay. Then you sing, he's a prince who prepares. That's two, two, three, six. All right. And then down a third. So it's the same contour. You're going up, you come down, and then there's a leap. Yeah. It's the same rhythm. He has just slightly changed the intervals. Then you do the next one. Knowing this time I'd run from him. Is that the right pitch? I think it is. Knowing this time I'd run from him. The chords have changed here and the melody is extended. We get like two more syllables in the line and that's just to accommodate the lyric. And then you say, he spread pitch on the stairs. So you're just changing the final interval of that. Again, the first three notes of every iteration so far are exactly the same. Actually, the first four notes are exactly the same. It's just the ending that gets slightly changed to accommodate lyrics. Then the motif actually shifts down to, I was caught unawares. So we're starting on a lower pitch for, I was caught. And then we get, a repeat of that. And I thought, well, he cares. So it's like that lower iteration is two times in a row, but it's all based on that first motive, right? The last one, and I thought, well, he cares. Stondheim has written in a little back phrasing, a little acting beat, right? Normally it would just be, and I thought, well, he cares, but he wrote in an eighth rest, and then 16 well, he cares. So for him, you just have to do what he tells you to do, and it is going to be, it's going to make sense, and you're going to be able to just extract what your acting beats are right from the way the music is written. You have to sing it as it is on the page. Almost every single song. I mean, it's just his style that he is so economical with his melodies. He uses, you know, what is this? This is a six six note melody here. And he makes almost an entire song out of it. There might be like another motif that comes in as like a a contrasting one, but it's so genius. It's so economical. It's getting the most bang for your buck, right? That's what motivic development is all about. Okay. So blah, blah, blah. That was number three. Let's move on. The number four way of developing a motive is called fragmentation. Okay, this one's really cool and I sort of referred to it already. So you have a motive and then sometimes that motive sort of has a beginning chunk and a, an ending chunk, like a chunk one and a chunk two. And let's, for the music terminology, we'll call them a germ, okay? So there's germ A and there's germ B within a motive. And the example I wanna use for this is Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Okay, this song, I had never done like a formal analysis of this song until I was doing this episode, and I realized the entire song, starting from the refrain, not from the intro, when all the world is a hopeless jumble, though that that could work as well, but starting from the refrain, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, is built on the first motive. Somewhere over the rainbow, Right? Okay. So I'm going to pause it. The germ A is somewhere Okay. Germ B starts on over the rainbow. Does that make sense? So there's a little overlap on the O. Ba, ba, ba. And then ba, 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 ba. So then the next line is way up high. That is a development of of germ A. Somewhere, oh, way up high. Then we're going to get the full motive again. There's a land that I heard of. That is the same as the motif, but it's just starting down a third, okay? With a little bit of interval change. Then you get, let's see, there's a land that I heard of. Once in a lullaby. Once in a lullaby is just a sequence of land that I heard of once in a lullaby. So it is germ B. Does that make sense? So we have motive, germ A, way up high. Motive, germ B, once in a lullaby. Oh my gosh, it's like mind-blowing. Then that happens again on the next part of the A section. Then we go to that part that's, Someday I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me. Okay, I kid you not, someday, that's the first two pitches of a germ B, okay? And then, one day I wish upon a star and wake up would be the next pitches, far behind me and hind me is the end of it. So it's like you're taking the germ B of over the rainbow and we're just playing, We're just adding a little, um, oscillation between those two notes and then oscillation between the next two notes, wake up where the clouds are far be. And then we finish. And then you do it again for the troubles. I might be like overemphasizing it and it might be really hard to listen to this without looking at the music, but y'all, it makes sense. Go look at your music for this song. Then after that chimney, tell us where you'll find me. Okay. That is the focal point from last week. That's the high pitch. It's the focal point of the entire song, the highest note of the entire song. Then we get back to somewhere over the rainbow, motive. Blue birds fly, germ A. Birds fly over the rainbow. That's the motive starting on a lower pitch. Why then oh why can't I? That's germ B. Do you guys see how it makes sense? And it helps with memorizing, Right, because you're understanding the structure even more, and then it also tells you like if you're going to change something and maybe do um, I'm gonna totally improvise right now, you guys. I had not planned this. Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high, you add a little but, but you still end on the note that they intended. So you're adding a little flair, but you're not totally deviating from the melody. That's what I mean, like. You can use the melody, still pay respect to it, and add a little bit of your own flavor to it. All right. We have two more. So number five, the fifth way that you can develop a motive is just called extension. And that's really just when you lengthen the motive, you add a little bit of new material to the end of it, sometimes within it. And I'm bringing this up now, but we already talked about it. So it's the little bit in Over the Rainbow about ba-da-da-da-da-da-da. You're extending it. You're expanding it, even though the motive is still there. It's still the the structure. It's still the core and the foundation, right? Another example would be that phrase in On the Steps of the Palace, where you say, knowing this time I'd run from him, okay, that run from him, you're adding a little few extra notes to the end of it. And if you go on in Steps of the Palace, here's another example. Um, Let's see. Better stop and take stock while you're standing here stuck on the steps of the palace. So you're getting that motive. And then you add on to the end of it. All right. So you're just reiterating. Actually, it's using part of the motive and repeating it and repeating it to get that sort of run on sentence of a lyric that is also so fun to sing. Um, so another just genius part of Sondheim. So that's all we're going to talk about for extension right now in and of itself is just that you're, you know, lengthening what's already there with a little bit of new material. Okay. The last one is inversion. So inversion is when you take the motive or part of it and you actually change the direction of the interval. So if an interval went up last time, this time it's going to go down. If an interval went down, it'll go up. So let's say your melody goes up a second. Your interval could now go from the first pitch down a second. Does that make sense? Sometimes it's exact intervals, and then other times it's just the general opposite contour. Hopefully that makes sense. The example that I want to draw from for this is Into the Unknown from Frozen. Okay, so we all know that the opening melody is like this eerie, ethereal voice, right? And that's like the voice that's calling Elsa. And then it does it again. And then we get... That's an extension. So it's a little ending that you add on. And then she starts, I can hear you. All right. And she sings, she sings. During the bridge... There is an inversion of that motive. So let me find the bridge here. Okay, so in the bridge of Into the Unknown, we go into a major key and we hear, ba-da-da-da, and then it harmonizes, da-da-da-da, then we hear it in the lower, ba-da-da-da, da 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 and then we get the inversion of it Ba-da-da-da. So we're going up, down, up, where the original is. Down, up, down. And it's so pretty because they've added actually harmonization to this part of the bridge. Um, and I wish I could play it for you, but for copyright reasons, I can't play samples of music on here. I can just sort of sing them a cappella. Um, so the inversion of it has this lifted feeling because the motive is going up. Whereas all previously through the song, the motive is always a descending one. Da 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 da. Oh, we go up, da da da, we go up again, and then it, it finishes out. It's just like if you are writing or if you're arranging for vocals. You don't have to reinvent the wheel in every measure. You don't have to start at square one, right? There is material that can just be developed and changed slightly. And so one of those ways is an inversion. All right, now I want to, as a longer example, kind of using all of these things together, I wanna look at My Funny Valentine. So I used this first as an example of repetition My funny Valentine. Then you sing it again. Sweet comic Valentine. Then you start. You make me. But then it changes. Smile with my heart. So it's sort of like we use a germ of the motive and then extend it with this new idea. Now, the next part Your looks are laughable. This is just the very same motive, but we're starting up a minor third, okay? So your looks are laughable. Repeat it, unphotographable. Now we're gonna do that same little thing where we have the first part of the uh, germ A, yet you're my, and then an extension where we change. Favorite work of art. Now we get a different motive. Is your figure less than Greek. And now we're going to hear that motive again, but there's going to be a higher interval. Is your mouth a little weak, right? Now there's going to be a higher interval. When you open it to speak, are you smart? So there is an extension, right? Are you smart? but, and then we come back to the first motive. Don't change a hair for me. Now we do a sequence up. Not if you care for me. Sequence up. Now it's an octave up from the original. Stay little Valentine's day. Then we come down. Each day is Valentine's day, which is that first motif, but now it's starting again, a third up. Okay. So it's all built. It's all built off of that. Right. And this is a song that has been done so many different times. I mean, by many jazz artists, by many musical theater artists, I would say pop artists have also done this. It's become like one of the fabric of the American songbook. We all know it. We all love it. And you hear different versions, different you know vocal improvisations or decorations, ornaments that they're doing, and it's it's beautiful as is, and that's why I always want students to learn it the way that the person wrote it on the page, because especially at this time, this is um, music by Richard Rogers, words by Lorenz Hart. Uh, this was in *Babes in Arms*, the musical. Okay in 1936. This music says 37, but I think it was on Broadway in 36. So when you have these writers from the American songbook era, Tin Pan Alley era, the way that they wrote was there was so much attention to detail and craft and structure. And if you sing it as is, there will be an exposition where you hear the main motive. You tell me the main motive, Okay, now we're going to develop the motive, and that's like our rising action. There is conflict. The chords and the harmonies change underneath our motive, yeah? Then you're going to give me a second motive. That's really going to develop things, right? That's the, is your figure less than Greek? which if we were looking at sheet music, we could actually see how that's still rooted in motive A. Is your mouth a little weak? So that rising high note giving us some direction, some momentum, then we come back for the main melody, but we're about to hit our climax of the song. So it's just like a story, you guys. Exposition, rising action, conflict, climax, and then resolution. Each day is Valentine's Day. What a resolution that is. And the climax, of course, is stay little Valentine's Day. And that's supposed to be forte. I just don't want to blast you out right now. And if you sing it just as is, it's so fulfilling. You haven't been that high in the piece yet. It is the, the main motive, but it's up in the higher octave and it's reharmonized. And it just is so full of the emotional release. But I know that there are people that are gonna wanna be like, stay a little and stay. You know, they're gonna wanna like add all that stuff. That was crazy random riffing, totally on the spot. Um, you know, just try singing it as, as it is. I'm a little bit blathering right now because I'm so enthusiastic about this. So that's it. That's what I have for you. The six ways that you can develop a motive. First, you repeat the motive as is, exactly the same. The second is you repeat the motive, but you start at a higher pitch and then maybe another higher pitch and then another higher pitch, you know, for a sequence of the motive, a series of them. The third way is changing the intervals slightly. So you get almost the same thing, but a little different in one or two spots and it fits with the chords. The fourth way is fragmenting, taking the motive and breaking it up into two different pieces or three different pieces, usually just two. And now you can actually sequence just one part of that, or you can repeat just one part of that melody as in over the rainbow we talked about. The fifth way, fifth motive development technique is extension. Do the same motive, but then add a little bit on at the end or somewhere in the middle. And the last way is inversion. Instead of doing your melody with a certain contour of up and down, reverse all of the ups and downs to be the opposite. It's still built on the same motive. It still feels like there's a glue connecting it, right? But it's going to sound different and it'll give you a new part of your melody. Now, what gets really crazy is when you start combining these, right? Where you're going to invert the melody... And you're going to now sequence the inversion that happens. Or you could fragment the melodies, the motive. So you're going to take just maybe germ A from the motive and then you'll invert it. So you can combine them in different ways to keep yielding more and more variety in your composition while still, you know, having that that glue or that connective thread throughout. You guys. I love melody. I love songwriting. I love the theory of it. All of it. This is what is at the heart of the songs that we're singing. And we've got to know this. We have to honor and understand what's on the page before we start taking it into the land of personal interpretation. At least that's what I think. Alrighty. So with that in mind, my friends, happy singing, happy analyzing go to your music and start seeing if you can find these things. Where do I see a repetition? Where do I see a sequence? And it's going to deepen your enjoyment and your ability to interpret the song. Next week, we're going to be talking about song form. So that is now how do these, you know, different versions of our motive and the development sort of congeal into sections, and how do the sections start coming back and how do we order the sections to create a larger sense of order in the song, right? Again, it's like different levels of logic. You've got the logic at the, the logic at the micro level of these motives developing. And then you've got to like, you pan out a little bit and the logic of the form starts to emerge. Okay. You start to see sections. And then after that, it's the logic of the musical, right? And how things are recurring throughout the musical from beginning to end. But we that's not in this series. So next week will be um, melodic form. And again, we'll have lots of fun examples for you for that. As I mentioned earlier, if you want to leave a review, that would be fantastic. And I will read your review on the podcast. Just go to my Apple podcast page. And then Every, um, every episode has show notes at koryyamaoka.com, and you'll find details of which songs I referenced in case you want to go back and recall that or look at them yourself. And then there's also information about coaching with me on my website. You can find the details there. I coach on Zoom, um, and what's great about doing it on Zoom is that you can be anywhere in the world, and if you find a time that works for both of you, you can do it. It's like we don't have to be in person anymore, which is super cool. Um so that's it um if you can think of one person that you think would enjoy this i ask you would you please send them a screenshot of the podcast or send them the exact link and just share it with them that's it cuz i think other people would like to know this stuff not everybody had the chance to go to music school right and even if you went to theater school we don't always talk about these kinds of things in this detail Um, especially when it comes to music theory and melody and dissecting it. So if you think there's somebody else that might enjoy it, please go ahead and share it with them. That would mean the world to me. Um, I wish you all the best. Be well. I will see you next time right here on Studying the Song.